You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories and to leave a comment. Uh, talking about good friends, and this gentleman's been connected to my program from the get-go, and we say thank you to Dr. History. Good morning. All right. Today, I'm going to talk about a guy that I'm going to step out on a limb here. His name is Arizona Charlie. Oh, I've, now, I've heard of him. Of people in Arizona have heard of this guy. And if you have, I apologize, because I never have. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, Arizona Charlie, up on my shelf, I've got a baseball cap from his uh, bar, grill, and uh, casino. Well, maybe it's the same guy. Oh, I'm sure it is. He greets everybody when they walk in the door. <laughs> well, I think this guy's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here we go. In the summer of 1882, uh, the CBQ Apaches, now I don't know if I said that right either, CBQ or Cybeck, I'm not sure, they were not happy over the U.S. Army killing their medicine man, and his name was Nokedikolini. Okay, don't ask me to say that again. You know, Dr. History, there was not even an inkling that I would ask you to say that again. <laughs> okay. Anyway, they had killed this medicine man the year before. So that July, roughly 50 Apaches went on a wild spree. They were burning, looting, killing into... A uh, place called the Tonto Basin, which is in central Arizona. Mm -hmm. Well, the Fort Apache troops followed in hot pursuit, and on July 17th, at a place called Big Dry Wash, they caught up with the Apaches, and they were outmanned and outgunned. The Apaches were routed in what became the last battle fought between the U.S. Army and the Apaches on Arizona soil. But the Apaches had already forever changed the life of the Meadows family. Uh, just two days before, on July 15th, Apache warriors attacked the Meadows Ranch. Uh, barking dogs sent John Meadows Sr. to the creek to investigate. When a shot rang out about 70 yards from his cabin, he threw up his arms, he shouted, and fell dead. Now, grabbing their rifles, Henry and John Jr. ran to help their father, but they were both wounded by gunfire. Oh, my. Well... When the bleeding boys reached their cabin, Henry, the son, fell on the porch, not able to get up. His mother, Margaret, and nine-year-old Jake had to pull him inside. Now, the mother, Margaret, and Maggie, 13, and James, 12, and a family friend named Sarah Jane Hazelton, they grabbed rifles, and they started firing back. Well, the Apaches kept, uh, Apaches kept shooting the cabin with gunfire until... Probably about 8 o'clock that night, or excuse me, until 8 o'clock the next morning, and when finally uh, the shooting stopped. Well, the family watched the Apaches, heard the ranch's cattle and horses. Uh, many of these animals were later found needlessly slaughtered along the trail. Mm. Now, that's a little unusual for the Indians to, to kill, uh, you know, horses and cattle like that. Right. But the Meadows family alone lost 200 head in the raid, and Margaret... The mother dispatched a guy named Johnny Gray to go to Pine Creek to notify Charlie, who was another son. 
Now, a few days earlier, Charlie had ridden there to guide an army detachment from Fort McDowell to General Springs. When word of the tragedy reached him, Charlie rode as fast as he could towards home. Well, he got there at the family ranch to find his father dead and two of his brothers badly wounded. The oldest son, Henry, actually died two months later. So now Charlie, age 22, was now the man of the house. Charlie was actually born and named Abraham Henson Meadows on March 10, 1860, along a place called Elbow Creek near today's Visalia, 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 California. And he was the sixth of 12 children. Now, his dad was a preacher and a rancher, and he was a Confederate sympathizer. And when Abraham Lincoln became the nation's president, John changed his son's name to Charles instead of Abraham. <laughs> Didn't want to have the name Abraham there. <laughs> anyway, so in 1877, the family settled on a ranch at Diamond Valley, north of Payson. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with that area? Yes, I am, very much so. Okay. So in 1884, two years after Charlie lost his father and his oldest brother on that ranch during the Apache Wars, Charlie entered a new arena. With a guy, a friend of his named John C. Chilson, he organized the Payson Rodeo, which some historians credit as America's first rodeo. Uh, Charlie also helped organize Prescott's and Phoenix's rodeos. Now, I know there's been other claims uh, here and there about America's first rodeo, but, you know, that's one that they claim could have been. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Charlie became a top steer roper in a territory that, you know, bred some of America's best rodeo cowboys in that Arizona country. Mm-hmm. And he also loved to gamble, and a lot of times he'd bet his rodeo purse on his skills gambling, and most of the time he actually won, which is a little unusual. So at the Payson Rodeo in November 1888, while riding his white horse snowstorm, Charlie won nearly every event, beating the future gun-for-hire Tom Horn, that's a familiar name. Mm. He beat Tom Horn at Steel Open, but the next year Tom Horn won. And that was before Tom got into some other trouble. Absolutely. But uh, both Cowboys caught the eye of William Buffalo Bill Cody, who was in attendance that day. He invited them to join his Wild West show. Now, Horn, Tom Horn turned down Cody's offer, but Charlie, he headed out to Cody's ranch in North Platte, Nebraska, to kind of talk about the details. He wanted to find out a little more. So, unable to find uh, Cody, Charlie returned to rodeo, uh, setting new records in Steer Open and in Prescott. Then he went again in Phoenix. And, you know, Charlie had made up his mind to perform in a Wild West show. He loved that. And he needed to free himself from the responsibility of running the family ranch. Well, he got his chance. On August 16, 1890, Charlie hosted a cattle gathering and a double wedding for his sister Maggie and her friend Julia. Now, after the wedding, Charlie allowed the couples to rope and brand all of the unbranded calves on the Meadows Ranch, and by sundown, the two newlyweds uh, couples had gathered enough calves to start their own herds. So now, Charlie didn't have the duty of his family ranch. He left Payson to pursue his dream, and in 1890, he traveled the world for two years with, uh, now this one I had never heard of, it's called Worth's Wild West Show. W-I-R-T-H, Worths. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. No, I never did hear of that company, no. I I haven't either. Mm. Well, anyway, he was performing in Australia with a guy named Chuck 
Texas Jack. Uh, Charlie became enthralled with a gal by the name of Marion May Murray, and she had run away and joined the circus, and the two married aboard a ship in the Philippines, and after 32 years of a happy-go-lucky being a bachelor, Charlie settled down. So he's 32 years uh, old and, and married now. She wasn't the bearded lady, was she? So oh. I didn't have a picture. Oh, okay. So, but uh, anyway, so Charlie met up with Buffalo Bill Cody in London, England in 1892, and he'd long dreamed of joining with Cody. But Marion, his wife, was not so enthused about it, and she kind of issued an ultimatum. She said, if you go, our marriage is over. Uh-oh. Well, guess what? On August 10th, Charlie joined Cody <laughs> at a party for Buffalo Bill's Wild West uh, and Congress of Rough Riders of the World, and uh, so the marriage was over. But anyway, the people included performers with pretty colorful nicknames. There was a guy named Pony Bob, uh, another one, the Cowboy Kid, uh, and Cody said that, you know, Charlie, you need a better name than just Charlie, so why not Arizona Charlie? There you that, go is how he got his name. And now, Charlie toured Australia, Asia, Europe, Canada, Alaska, meeting famous people, including Will Rogers, Jack London, Zane Gray, Rudyard Kipling, and Annie Oakley. And he even performed be- be before England's Queen Victoria. Mm. And he always wore his signature red neckerchief and fringed buckskin jacket. He had long, flowing hair that went to his shoulders and always wore this broad-brimmed hat. Now, this guy was big. He was six foot six. Oh, my. He could have played basketball. You know, big guy, Charlie. But he was an imposing figure in the arena, just a big guy. And in 1893, he started his own uh, show, and it's called Arizona Charlie's Historical Wild West. Now, during an 1894 performance at California Santa Cruz Fiesta, Charlie hired a very pretty, beautiful writer named Ida May McCamish. Mm-hmm. And he billed her as May Melbourne, I, I guess just to honor Australia for whatever. Okay. Anyway, May was hopelessly in love with Charlie, and uh, Charlie, he was still kind of enjoying the bachelor life, but... In 1898, uh, Charlie and May set out for the Klondike to make uh, their fortune in gold, and newspapers reported the two married prior to the trip, and not quite sure if he was actually divorced at the time, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless. Uh, Charlie preferred performing to mining, so he opened a place called the Palace Grand Theater in Dawson in 1899, and actually they say that's still in operation today. No. But... This three-story theater originally seated 2,200 people. Now, that, wow. back then, that was a huge stage. But, Absolutely. You know, it, yeah, but it was big enough for Charlie to demonstrate his sharpshooting talents, uh, sometimes with him on horseback. Uh, everyone agreed uh, Charlie was the Klondike's most flamboyant uh, showman. He livened up the show every night by shooting a cigarette out of May's mouth or targeting uh, class balls off the top of her head from 25 yards away. <laughs> uh, did, you ever, did you ever wonder, I've got to ask you a question there, if this was indoors at this 2,200-seat auditorium, what about the people behind the stage curtain while he's doing the shooting? You know, I, I suppose after the first time, 
they learned where to go. I see. I see. <laughs> I'm just guessing. They didn't stick around behind where he was shooting. So, anyway, one of his star attractions was a gal by the name of Kate Rockwell, and she was better known as Klondike Kate, and Charlie paid her $200 a week to be in his show. Now, stories vary on Charlie's success as a Klondike stampeder. Uh, some say he came home with a pocket full of money. Others say he returned nearly broke. And by 1901, the Klondike boom was pretty much fading out. So Charlie sold the Palace Grand. He traveled up and down the Pacific Coast to promote Wild West acts. But, you know, Zeb, like you and I, he was getting older, and he wanted to postpone the inevitable. So he took up residence with his wife, May, down in Yuma, Arizona, and thought that uh, would be a better place to live. But never wanted to sit still very long. Charlie searched for lost treasure in Mexico, and that never panned out to anything. In 1914, Charlie received a bit of a surprise. He laid eyes on his daughter, also named Marion May. Oh, my. And her mother was Charlie's first wife. And she had kept them apart and claimed that the father was dead. So his daughter, up until then, thought that uh, her father was dead. Uh-oh. So, anyway, May, Charlie's second wife, kind of drifted out of the scene. Oh, my. Uh, so she's gone. Now, Marion, his daughter, and Charlie, they got together, and they bonded, and he took her on cruises, told her stories of his adventures, uh, everything. And in the, uh, they re- uh, Marion, the daughter, actually reunited her parents after 34 years apart. Now, you know, after not seeing somebody for 34 years, uh, uh, they uh, saw each other uh, kind of looking each other over and wondered, uh, she must have said, I wonder what attracted her to the, in the first place. Uh, she must have asked herself, quote, is this gaunt, leathery-faced old man the same tall, handsome, swashbuckling cowboy I fell in love with? And he probably looked at this beautiful, matronly, gray-haired lady as the beautiful blonde that he had married, you know, 34 years prior to that. But anyway, they kind of got together. They enjoyed a a pretty good relationship the rest of their days. And not ready to go on to his uh, final resting place, Charlie uh, thought Yuma's dry climate would extend his life. And he'd ride his horse into town uh, from his ranch every day. Occasionally he'd ride through the swinging doors of a saloon and leading folks to say, quote, Arizona Charlie is still out there sowing his wild oats. Hmm. Now, Charlie, ask, tell me if you've heard this uh, statement. Charlie had, quote, seen the elephant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That means he'd seen a lot of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Been there, done that. <laughs> okay. But he says he was born during a snowstorm in a California town where it rarely snowed. He gathered rodeo championships on his horse snowman, Snowstorm. In Yuma, where no records show, show that it has ever snowed, he was also fond of saying, quote, it'll be a snowy day in Yuma when they plant this old Hase Emperor, which was a ter- term for the territory's earliest uh, pioneers. So anyway, uh, Don Meadows was a relative to Arizona Charlie, and he found a belt buckle, and it was engraved with something that said, Prescott, July 4th, 1886, best time, 59 and a half seconds. Wow. wow. Now, he did some uh, searching, and in the Weekly Journal Minor newspaper, 59 and a half seconds was the time Arizona Charlie took 
to tie a steer in 1888. I'll be darned. The steer kicked loose, so Arizona Charlie was not awarded the time for a score. Now, I don't think 59 and a half seconds would uh, set too many records today to use that. No, but you got to remember that the cattle and circumstances, equipment and arena conditions, everything were so, I'll use the word archaic compared to what they are today. Well, and it might have been a big, huge arena that you had to chase that steer for 30 seconds before you could ever get a rope. <laughs> very, very possible. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the story of Arizona Charlie. And if somebody's heard of him, I'd like to know. Just go to my webpage and send me an email. No, I was not being facetious. Wheels, there's a little feedback on the line. Help me on that. Uh, I was not being facetious. I do have a baseball cap that I picked up at his casino, Arizona Charlie's Casino and Bar and Grill, and it's up on my wall. The next time you're here, I'll show it to you. Yeah, well, he, let's see, he died when, uh, 1920, 1914, somewhere. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure when he died exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he was still around, you know, for a long time. So so that must have been his uh, his bar, I guess, or his, uh, yeah. But that was an interesting story, and, again, kudos to you for a great job this morning. Uh, listen, uh, when you get a chance, give me a call later on today sometime on my cell phone. I'd appreciate it. All right. You have a good day, Zeb. Ladies and gentlemen, none better than Dr. History right here on Zeb at the Ranch. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.